And in that shop, they were selling off old pieces of all different designery fabrics. And by chance, they got a piece of that and brought it back. And I was like, that's absolutely fantastic because it has magic symbols on it. So that became one of his main scarves. <laughs> Just kept getting hold of things that were really, really making the character feel like the characters. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Art of Costume Podcast. I am your host, Spencer Williams, and thank you so much for joining me for another bonus episode. Hello, costume nerds. I have quite a lovely treat for you all today, um, or shall I say a delicious treat. Um, let's see how many like chocolate or candy puns we could work into this episode, <laughs> because today, of course, we are talking about Wonka, uh, a movie that I believe we're all so excited to see. I've seen it. You've probably seen it by now since it's killing in the box office. I mean, of course, it's Timothy Chalamet, and I will be the first to admit that I am a Timothy Chalamet super fan. Anything this man can do. I'm just on his side, uh, whether it be Wonka, Dune, uh, that movie with the peach. I'm here for it. I love Timothy Chalamet. So um, with that, I'm so excited to talk about the costumes. Uh, Wonka had some incredible costumes, and I'm honored to say that today we will be joined by costume designer Lindy Hemming, who did the costumes for Wonka. Uh, but first, a little summary. Armed with nothing but a hat full of dreams, young chocolatier Willy Wonka manages to change the world one delectable bite at a time. With dreams of opening a shop in a city renowned for its chocolate, a young and poor Willy Wonka discovers that the industry is run by a cartel of greedy chocolatiers. And that is Wonka. Now to go behind the costumes, we have director Paul King and costume designer 
Lindy Hemming. And let me tell you something about Lindy Hemming. She has done a lot, a lot of things that I love and I know that you love as well. Uh, first, we have to mention her Oscar award-winning work for the film Topsy Turvy. Uh, she went on to design costumes for Tomorrow Never Dies, Harry Potter in a Chamber of Secrets, and maybe a few of these films will also sound familiar to you, like Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, one of the greatest movies of all time, for which she won a Costume Designers Guild Award, and The Dark Knight Rises. She also designed the costumes for Casino Royale, Clash of the Titans, which is a guilty pleasure of mine. I love anything with Greek mythology and you know, monsters and Medusa and punching giant scorpions. Um, Paddington one and Paddington two wonder woman for which Lindsay also won another costume designers guild award and wonder woman 1984. And recently Lindy designed the costumes for Wonka as well. And I am so excited for y'all to meet Lindy. Um, meeting her was a big treat as, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of her work. I was a dark Knight nerd in high school. Let me tell you. I mean, it was, it's kind of freaky, you know, when anyone's like really obsessed with the Joker, you just kind of a little bit of pause there. I was definitely that kid. I mean, I was wearing like a Joker shirt to high school, like every other day. So meeting Lindy was a real treat. And of course I'm a big Wonka fan. I love any of the Wonka movies, you know, the original one with Gene Wilder. And I don't even have to tell you how I feel about the Tim Burton version, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, so I was very excited for this one. I think Timothy Chalamet is great in it. The costumes are great. Uh, so after this break, we are going to talk to Lindy Hemming. But before that, let me remind you all that next week, season four of the Art of Costume podcast is kicking off. And we will be kicking off with a very special uh, two-part uh, episode week, which we don't often do. We never post two episodes in one week unless there's one of them is a bonus episode. But we're going to be posting two episodes in one week because we are doing Barbenheimer week. We got to get both of these movies into <laughs> the week. So we will be having Barbie on January 16th and Oppenheimer on January 18th. I know you all are excited um, because I'm excited. I'm excited to get back in the studio with Elizabeth and Daniel. Of course, we're going to have some fun. Um, I know Elizabeth is a big Barbie nerd, so I'm sure she's working up all sorts of behind the costume facts for that one. And I know we have a little special surprise for the Oppenheimer episode as well. So stay tuned for that. Thank you all so much for listening and enjoy the conversation with costume designer, Lindy Hemming. episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com I am 
so excited to welcome you uh, to talk about Wonka. It was such a fun, exciting film. But I kind of want to start with the big picture first. Uh, you know, Helen Kolvig did the costumes for Willy Wonka in 71. Gabriella did Charlie and Chocolate Factory in 2005. And now Lindy Hemming did Wonka in 2023. Just, I can't what does the that... connection except Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> how does it feel what does that legacy feel like to be a part of such a beloved story when you first got the call well to be honest with you i wasn't a fully um i liked gene wilder's wonka that was my i hadn't really looked at tim burton's wonka actually right and i still haven't really looked at it properly well because i find when you do the any superhero or iconic thing you do need to know what you're dealing with and obviously i know Ral Dahl's work but I didn't want to be – I knew that because of the image of it, the thing, it had to be – it would have to be within a parameter which the fans and the studio and everybody understood. But I wanted to try to come to it perhaps from the Gene Wilder end of things more than I did from the Johnny Depp end of things. I felt like the story we were telling was going to be more in that – the feeling of that world than in the Tim Burton's who has his very special, specific way of telling stories. And I didn't think we were in that world at all. Mm -hmm. So your question to your question, then I suppose like every other costume that you do, and especially if it's iconic, some iconic um, character, you, you try to look for a way to access the character, which has got really not very much to do with the films, the other films, if they've been made. Perhaps sometimes a bit to do with the book, the comic book or the book, because there's more information to be gleaned or imagined by yourself in, in the book than there is when you watch someone else's work or someone else's portrayal of the character. I think actors probably feel a bit the same. I'm not sure that you're... There's a backstory to our Willy Wonka, which... Is written was written by Paul. So we have a, a kind of idea of who he is and where he comes from. And it's alluded to a little bit with the, the flashbacks of the barge and that world. And on top of that, we imagined that his costume was somehow gleaned partly because of his love of magic and maybe from a magician or ma magician-type world. And also partly, although you can hardly see it now, but... Things like the lining of his coat are from North Africa. And, you know, we tried to just put little bits of stuff in there. And his scarves, well, his scarves is a whole other story. But anyway, his <laughs> scarves were part of the magic trick that he's been trying to do, you know, he's been doing. And, of course, it goes wrong quite often. And, he ends up <laughs> and so he wears a scarf. So that's the way we kind of began to build up who he was and where his stuff had come from. And I think you could say that the origins of his coat, anyway, are certainly from some old magician somewhere along the line. And so is the top hat. Maybe not the same person, but just that world. And then all his other clothes he's picked up, as he says now in the script, uh, the, from a mailman from Minsk his trousers came from. <laughs> Did you notice that? He said the dog wants to his trousers. I did. I loved all the little different notes in the costumes. And then his socks have probably been knitted by his mother years ago. And his knitted, beautiful, he's got a beautiful knitted waistcoat with buttons, which has got really lovely um, 
hand pattern, you know, hand knitted patterns on it and different worked in colors. And that I'm sure his mother made that for him or maybe his grandma mm. even. <laughs> it goes, you know. So that's how we approach the character. So I suppose, of course, we all know because an iconic thing is something we all know what it looks like, isn't it? That's what it means, really. Right. Uh, so we all know what it is. But the job is to try and find a way using using what you know, using what you imagine, and then using the beautiful Timothy Chalamet to to make a new thing. Watching may not even think it is a new thing, but to us and to Timothy and to Paul, it is a new thing, you know. Right, of course. I felt like a whole, you know, brand new vision. It was very fun to get to know this whole new world. Uh, and for you, this is not your first time working with Paul King, actually, nor is it your second time. Oh, my so, love, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to talk about your collaboration with director Paul King. Uh, I'd love to know more about that working relationship and how it translated into Wonka. Well, it's it started with Paddington, obviously. And um, it's just like I feel, he might say not, but I feel like kindred <laughs> spirits meet, you know, one of those things. Right. He loves fabric. He loves color. He loves textiles. He loves textures. And he loves people. And so that's like my perfect person, you know, my perfect world, really. And he's totally collaborative, as I, I like to work in a totally collaborative way, and so does he. And he's willing to spend hours discussing the characters and you know the the actor that's going to play them and how they would how they would be and you know he's he's really the most he might be the most available or one of the most available directors that I've worked with and I think he likes the world of costume because he loves you know his wife used to be a hat maker she's an artist a hat maker oh wow he 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 loves clothes that are handmade and he loves. He just likes textiles. And so he's willing to come and look at what you're doing and to be involved in conversations about why you like something better than something else. And he he's just um, he's willing to, to accept your overview, you know, because you know what everyone's wearing at different times and extremely collaborative about the sets. And where you're going to be. And so it's just, I mean, I sound like a lovey. My, somebody told me yesterday, you sound like a lovey because you sound like you're <laughs> just saying everybody's nice. But actually, it is a beautiful working relationship and it is a beautiful circumstances. And every actor, it's almost like he only chooses lovely actors. And the minute they come, they're infected by the same, you know, it ent- the spirit enters them. So it, it's <laughs> Just fabulous. Anyway, I don't know if that's the answer to anything, but um, it is true. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel like as an audience, you could kind of feel it watching this film and the other films you've done with Paul as well, that there's just a there's a harmony to it where it just feels like everyone's happy to be there and the yeah. story is just joyous and positive. It's so. true, though. It is a true reflection of the energy that's going into it, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's dive a little bit more specifically into Wonka's signature look. We touched on it a little bit, but collaborating with Timothy to bring this iconic character to life, what was kind of your process in starting with the coat, the signature look? (laughs) Well, actually, if I tell the truth, I had two coats. I had a red coat in mind, and then I also had a a really, really vibrant green overcoat, long overcoat which I fancied as well, but it just didn't work. 
in among everything. And so I suppose my main luck, good fortune or choices was that I had fabulous people in my team, you know, in every department. It was just a, mar a marvelous thing. So I had a wonderful dyer of fabrics and a printer of fabrics. And I had a wonderful a woman who was embroider an embroiderer. And so we bought his velvet, you know, for his coat. We all thought that velvet is the right, you know, velvet was the right thing. And also my thing about velvet, as opposed to other things, was I felt like we could really light it in a magical way, whereas a flatter fabric, other than satin, which I didn't think it could be, we wouldn't be able to give it a ping, you know. We wouldn't be able to make – I knew there were going to be – visual effects moments and things we wouldn't be able to give it a sort of glow really and it has a glow in some scenes and so our dyer and textile printer michael we bought the velvet and then he started dyeing it and we all looked at dye samples and dye samples until we got to the color that we thought was it was a sort of pink cherry you know red kind of <laughs> pink cherry not really red kind of yeah, pink cherry color. I love that. And, um, yeah, me, I loved it. I still. Love <laughs> that. And then we discussed how to cut it. Of course, so I had a really, really good cutters, and they. The requirement was to not make it look too period, because then he would end up looking like Darcy or somebody. You know, mm -hmm. there had to be a sort of looseness to it, and also because Timothy's so physical, there had to be enough weight to it so that it would fly i call it it also had to be heavy enough not to be like you know fluffy a fluffy garment <laughs> so it, so he kind of that that was an important choice in the fabric and then the dyer and breaker downer spent a lot of time we we cut all we got the cutter to cut the panel pieces lucy denny she was called and once the panels were made we worked out how to burn the the acid burn, as it were, the velvet mm. pile away, so that where there were seams, we would end up getting uh, bald seams, you know, parts where the velvet had gone, because we wanted to be really old and have a sort of a previous a lot of previous life to it, and also dirt, and also, you know, like an, a part where your knee's gone in through it, or you've sat. So we put all that onto the panels, and then they sewed it together. And then once it was sewn together, oh, yeah, and we designed a fabric for the lining of the coat because in my absolute mind, my, my I knew, I felt that he was going to twirl, he was going to move, <laughs> it was dan a dance, you know, a film with dancing in it. Right. And I wanted to see the, the, the just the different fabric underneath, something interesting that looked like it had come from somewhere. So it was a sort of North African um, ICAT print inside which we made, which Michael printed. So slowly the thing got put together and then once we'd put one together, we just then thought, Paul and me thought that it would be good if it had some sort of embroidery on it to make it a little bit more theatrical magical, you know, as though it came from a theatrical or a magic magician-y kind of show background. So our Sarah, our embroiderer, who's a fantastic embroiderer, started to do samples of where we could put panels of embroidery or where we could put the embroidery. And then we pinned all them on and showed them to Paul and showed them to Timmy, actually. And slowly that, that was decided. It's a long process, I must say. 
for something. <laughs> I know I have the indulgence really to be able to have the time to do that. And then um, she started embroidering the panels. So every panel had to be made and worked on by the breaker downer and the dyer and the distresser. Then all the panels were sent to the back to the cutter. So their team of makers. Oh, no, sorry. Then they were sent, the pieces that were needing embroidery were sent to the embroiderer. And then slowly they went back up to the, to the be made in the workroom. So at some point you'd have seen like five identical coats in different stages of breaking down and wear, hanging, and some of them looked like they'd been wetted, hanging in the workroom. And then they set about to make the, the multiples of those five, if you like. Five, it's almost like a James Bond film, you know. It's <laughs> shot, he's got bullet holes, is this, yeah. But he had all this this work to do on him. And so that was an ongoing process. And then as well, at the same time, we started, or I started looking at different reference pictures and different knitting patterns because I'd got it in my head that his mother would have knitted him some stuff or his granny would have knitted him some stuff on their, in their life on the barge. And so slowly we came up with all the components and by some sort of luck we found we didn't want to use ordinary shirt fabric. And I think Joe, my assistant, who is my right-hand assistant woman, went off to a market in the north of England and there there was a man who'd been to China. This is how it makes it feel great. He'd been <laughs> to China and he brought back loads and loads of handmade Chinese shirting fabrics which were just woven from linen and um, and cotton. And so we decided that we would use one of them as his undershirt because we see it quite often because it looks sort of, it's slightly stiff and not going to go into rumply creases. It looks a bit boxy and linen-y. And we didn't have enough of that fabric. So Michael, the printer, had to, we had to get more of it plain and then he had to print it to look identical to the, ones that we'd made from the real fabric. And it was just a long and endless process while <laughs> all the other costumes to get him done. But he was that he was kind of sorted out fairly fairly early on. As they were being cast, we could move on to the other characters. The hat was a very, very complicated thing. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> the reference pictures. We had tons of reference. We had a whole room of reference. Um, a sort of workroom come uh, fitting room. And we, I had found a picture of a magician's hat that collapsed, you know, the collapsible top hat. Right. <laughs> and so I also found some pictures of magicians, of magicians' hats where they had, you know, devils or demons or explosions painted on them. And so we thought, I thought, we all right, then let's go for a collapsible hat. And then I think in the script at one point, I don't think it happens now, his hat did collapse, but I think we, we've not done that. But it ended up with painting on it. You can just see the sort of tracings of an explosion painted on the side. Uh, and um, we got the... the uh, an older lady who's a famous, famous lady called Jane Smith to make his hats for us. And it was uh, endless, an endless process of hand making top hats for him. 
And again, making them in different degrees of battered. Some had to be perfect and some had to be broken down and some had been sat on, you know, it's that kind of feeling. <laughs> so it just went on and on, his costume. Man, that's interesting. How many hats do you think there were? Oh, well, well, in fact, um, there had to be more hats because they had to be given to the props department because in one shot, which I actually don't think is in the film anymore, yes, it is, he looks up through his hat and sees the bleacher, the nasty Mr. Bleacher, looking down at him, I think. Right. I remember lots of things that were in the script that aren't anymore, probably. But anyway, <laughs> it had to, his top hat had not only to collapse, but it also had to open at the top. Right. <laughs> um, lots of things. So we had to make them for props to do things to as well. Man, most people think there was just one hat, but that seems to be never the case. <laughs> and then we had lot. He had loads and loads of we the the fabric swatching people went out and we wanted them to look in all kinds of obscure places to find really, really thin cotton lawn so mm. that we could make his scarves, but so they weren't bulky, but that we could use a lot of fabric. So when he wants to do his tricks, you believe that the scarves are really long and they can keep on coming out, but then he winds them around his neck. So <laughs> she found um, some wonderful fabrics, but one of the best things that was ever found he wears quite a lot and it's got stars and lightning bolts and things on it. And it was an old, old Liberty, you know, Liberties of London is a famous, famous fabric shop in the London. And it was an old, old piece of fabric, a bolt of fabric from Liberties of London, which they'd got rid of. And it had ended up in a small place, which is called Southall, I think, or yes, it was Wembley, it was. And in that shop, they were selling off old pieces of all different designery fabrics. And by chance, they got a piece of that and brought it back. And I was like, that's absolutely fantastic because that <laughs> has magic symbols on it. So that became one of his main scarves. And, uh, so it went on like that. But I think you'd, you'd have to say that the gods were with us. Do you know what I mean? Right. We just kept getting hold of things that were really, really making the character feel like the character somehow. Yeah, I gotta tell you, the scarves I think were my favorite part. Just every time I'd see a different scarf, I was <laughs> yeah, my favorite. <laughs> and if you and ask, that, ask at the end, why does he have that yellow scarf on? If he's been in the chocolate. Hmm, that's interesting. That? It was <laughs> yeah. thing. But actually, he had been wearing it. But I thought, hmm, that looks as if he never had it on before. <laughs> It happens. <laughs> I, I, one of my favorite parts of the film was seeing all the colors, the prints, as we've been talking about the textiles. And that seems like a very important part to your process as well as the overall film is the use of color. Yeah. So can you elaborate on th that use for a little bit? Well, first of all, the, the, the freedom, the key to the, the, to be allowed to use color is Paul, is Paul King. He loves colour. He loves colour and he loves the look of colour on the screen. And so starting from that, then, you know, you work, you plan who has what colours, you know, where do we use, what do we use in different areas and places. But the, the, the main fabulous thing was that we had the luxury not only to be able to hire co crowd costumes from Spain, Italy, America, but we also had a rather large amount of money put by to make crowd costumes and hats. So we were able to 
the, uh, Charlotte Child was the assistant in charge of the crowd, and she was able to pull in from all over the world things that we chose individually, and they were brought. Um, but at the same time, we had a whole workroom making crowd costumes, and so because also because they were dancers, they had to have gussets and all. You know, they have to be able to move their arms above their heads and all of that kind of thing. So. So we were allowed, we were able to use colours that we wouldn't normally use because we could make things ourselves. And we were allowed and able to use colour that didn't exist in the costume houses. And then we would back that colour up with stuff that we hired. So it got to be that we had a whole range of colours, which I've got still, which <laughs> were what we, allow, what we were allowed to use in the crowd. And then we could get Michael, the dyeing room, to dye wools that we bought, but make sure that we had the colours we wanted to use in them. And then behind them or backing them up, we, we would only hire things that would either frame those colours or be in the same world. So a lot of work and a wonderful hat maker. It was. It felt like a treat. I mean, like almost like a dessert. Seeing all these <laughs> colors uh, go together. I had the best teams of people. I can't even tell you. Eternally grateful to them. They, they were mar. They loved the costumes as much as as if they were the. You know, they were their costumes. They were their. Right. They were just great at making sure everyone looked fabulous all the time. It's a lot of hard work, which leads me to my next uh, character I want to talk about is Miss Scrubbit, who also goes through a lot of hard work. Uh, I'm a big Olivia Coleman fan, and she actually said uh, a little quote. She said, it was so much fun going for my first fitting with Lindy, the beautiful drawings of all the characters around the room. Where did you read that? I wish I'd read that. <laughs> it's in the press notes. <laughs> I'll send it to oh, you. Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> she said the fabrics, the swatches, it was like going into incredible haberdashery. So <laughs> tell me, what was it like working with Olivia on designing the Miss Scrubbit character? She was so <laughs> funny, as she well, always <laughs> is, of course. Well, first of all, <laughs> my, my, all of the reference stuff, I, I didn't know who was going to be Mrs. Scrubbit when I started, obviously. So all of the reference pictures I'd had got out were of, you know, fat landladies and awful <laughs> washerwomen and people with warts <laughs> and teeth, strange teeth and, you know, really kind of basically really kind of ugly and nasty people. Right. And so then I started to draw from them and I did draw I haven't got them with me today I've only got the end drawings but sort of draw these pictures and show her them and think well, I wonder if she's going to leave now you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway she loved it of course because she's a consummate mad mad woman <laughs> just loved it and um what the thing was is that every fabric I'd say 99% of everything she wears was made for a start and we printed nearly everything that she wears was either hand knitted or hand printed, but everything was made. And our printer printed, you know, wonderful sort of 1930s uh, dress fabrics, but in unusual colors like lilacs and acid greens and things. And then everything, when it's made, then we washed it and dipped it so that it didn't look new, obviously. So all of her costumes, and she's got quite a few, especially the kimono. I don't know if you remember when she's <laughs> with the biggest bosoms in the kimono. Yes. <laughs> um, she, it's all handmade and it's all hand printed. And I so love 
to her costumes. That's that's when people think, you know, you get costume designs and people think all of it is when you do period costumes with bustles and ruffles and silk and everything. Mats, those are my favourite costumes. And it's like <laughs> Olivia Coleman kind of costumes. And nearly all the costumes in the film are, you know, that kind of hyper-real, ordinary people's things. But uh, I loved her. I love her stuff. Yeah. yeah. It yeah, was terrific. It. it was very immersive in a way where you felt you kind of felt like the dirt and the grime of it all when you were <laughs> in their wash house. <laughs> well, you know, there's not many actresses that you can get them to wear a big padding, you know, and right. struck the body underneath, and they come out of the fitting room and they go, "Yeah, I don't know if you can see me here. I don't know if you can see me or only hear me." But she she's came out and went, "Oh yes," you know, like I love, I love all this. <laughs> And then build the costumes over the top of that. Wow. It's so, so fun. Yeah. So she was, anyway, she's a real, um, you know, she's a a fantastic person anyway, isn't she? <laughs> and just to wrap up, uh, what do you hope the audience will take away from Wonka through the costumes and just the film overall? Kindness to other people. Hmm. Humanity, the behavior, in your behavior towards how you should maintain your humanity and kindness in the face of all kinds of horrible things that happen. Um, laughter, uh, <laughs> a joy in a magical world. You know, joy, a joy for children in a magic to see a magical world and adults really, which is very similar to what I'd say about Paddington anyway. You know, but. I think that the most biggest thing is, you know, the 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 all overwhelming sort of way that kindness wins out, you know, being kind to people and being, you know, having fun and, and singing and dancing and joy wins out in the film. I think that's what I would hope. And, of course, I hope they like the costumes. But <laughs> I think the sets, Nathan Crowley's sets are just unbelievable when you think that all of those exteriors you know where they're in the street with the pillars right. going around and everything and the pretend front of st paul's cathedral they're all made everything's made every interior is made every everything's made and, um you just think they've gone and filmed in bath or you know somewhere no and all those you know where the chocolate is and where the room with the big huge enormous door that opens the vault yes. All that's all, it was all made, everything. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, it was such a fun, positive experience. And I, the whole time had a smile across my face. And yeah. a big part of that was the storytelling through the costumes and of course the set. So costume designer, Lindy Hemming, thank you so much for talking with me. This has been wonderful. Thank you for talking to me and thank you for being knowledgeable about what you were talking about. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> The Art of Costume podcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on TikTok at The Art of Costume and Instagram at The Art of Costume Pod. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. For more podcast updates, costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, go to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design.